everybody. This is So Many Sequels. I'm Josh. I'm Andrew. I'm Garrett. And I'm David. Thank you for watching here on our YouTube channel or listening to our podcast feed. Um, you can find us online on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search So Many Sequels there to uh, see what we're up to and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Um, we're back on Zoom this week. We Our last show, we, we shot with a, a proper camera. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna play around with some things, so that's Test why things are things you know are gonna I, look different every now and then. You know what I don't like yeah. about Zoom? What? Besides this face I'm making right now. <laughs> well, that's not <laughs> Zoom's fault. That's true. But that's I can see you. myself doing it. No, yeah. I'm just when I sit here listening, I'm just paying attention. But when I look, I look so disinterested <laughs> and like I have resting bitch face, and I'm not. I'm just listening. I just I don't. It's not yeah. my natural state of face to go. And it's and you're not used to watching yourself listen. Yeah, this feels unnatural. This feels yeah. natural. And yeah. I look like a jerk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, keep going. What's up? Now Andrew's playing with his mustache. Anyway, yeah, like anyway. you said, we, like I said, we're, we're going to change it up. This is a very easy way to do things. and So, so uh, easy. It's, it's, it's almost effortless, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I, my, my thinking is I bet we go back and forth a little bit, try a little bit of this, try a little bit of that. Yeah. We'll sure. we'll see we'll, we'll see what we a little see. bit of Monica, but yeah, little, no Lou Bega. Um, but today we're going to talk about sorry, Cloverfield. We're going to talk about Cloverfield today. Cloverfield. Cloverfield. We're starting starting a new series um, with this one. Cloverfield's mm-hmm. got three movies so far in a. It's more of a universe situation than it is like traditional sequels. So. It's, I believe that's the first time we've really done something like this, where it's not, like I said, a, a straightforward sequel. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's been some weird uh, inner incarnations, like uh, Halloween 3, Season true, of the Witch, yeah, isn't really like a, a, tra- a very traditional sequel of the rest of the Halloweens. We did that a while back. I should say you guys did that one a while back. But uh, yeah, not a lot of this type of franchises, the franchises right, that right. are like these, I should say. Right, right. It shouldn't be a spoiler to to say that um, this this universe shares a Cloverfield is of course in the name of each movie, and they all contain monster elements. But that's about it as far as connecting. So, with that in mind, I guess let's just jump straight in to Cloverfield. Cloverfield kind of reignited the uh, idea of the monster movie. I think. It had yeah. been a bit. It had been a bit dormant um, until this. It came out January two thousand eight. Directed by Matt Reeves, who would uh, later be known for making the um, two of the Planet of the Apes sequels, right. as as well as um, he's currently working on the Batman with Robert Pattinson. So this movie kind of really kickstarted his career. Yeah, it resurrected his career really. Yeah, that's true, because, you, uh, you know, we had talked a little bit outside of the show about how he was more of a, a TV guy before this, much yeah. like J.J. Abrams, who uh, how, yeah. is the producer of this film. Yeah, I think that's how he got linked up with Abrams is on Lost and yeah. things like that. So this movie stars Lizzie Kaplan, uh, Jessica Lucas, T.J. Miller, Michael Stahl, David, Mike Vogel, Odette mm-hmm. Yustman. You probably don't recognize a lot of those names. No. I sure don't. No, um, outside Kaplan, of T.J. Miller, yeah. Outside of yeah, T.J. Liz- Miller, the, the most beautiful cast you'll ever see. Yeah, 
Lizzie and TJ are the are the most well known today. I yeah. think. Um, TJ plays the. Uh, Is it fair to call I, him a narrator? Well, that's what I was just uh, fighting with in my head because he's not like a a traditional narrator, no. but. He you see is the story family. through his eyes. He's the you camera. Do. He's the cameraman. And this is a found footage film presented like a piece of evidence from the Department of Defense, I think. Mm-hmm. And so he's the cameraman throughout this whole thing. You you only see him a couple times uh briefly throughout the movie. You mostly just hear his voice. Um it's yeah, yeah. What is uh what's everybody's initial thoughts of the movie? Do we like it? Do we hate oh, it? I'll start. This is okay. uh, some great stuff. I know yeah. that might be surprising because I, uh, I traditionally not a big fan of anything that even kind of is in the neighborhood of horror movies. But uh, I found this, I think, I think honestly it was the, the style of filmmaking they used. I found this to be one of the coolest ways to tell this type of story that I've seen maybe ever. Cause I mean, most monster movies have a very traditional set path of how they're going to go through things. And I think Matt Reeves, uh, I think it was J.J. Abrams' initial idea, but Reeves really taking that and uh, the writer, Drew Goddard, kind of coming up with a story that doesn't give you all the information, but gives you all the information you really need to follow these characters through a monster movie from a perspective we never really get. Or if we do get, it's usually in the most, you know, uh, you know, cliche way they could do it. This felt like watching uh, real people reacting to a real situation. And I think that um, every compliment you could give this film really comes back to the way they shot it. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's an incredible, it was an incredible idea to do a found footage style movie in, in a monster genre. Well, and it's, it, it really like, we can talk about Blair Witch whenever we get to that, but I really like the whole idea of the found footage thing because anymore, it's so common. Like when Blair Witch did it, we didn't really have like full access like we do now. Um, But if this scenario were to be presented as real, Mm -hmm. everyone would be able to record it and everyone would be recording it on their cell phone. So it really gives you this uh, realistic uh, feeling into something that's so not realistic, Uh, you know, monsters aren't just running around town destroying cities on a regular basis um so but because it's so even though they're using a camcorder at the time it's still 2008 is that right maybe yeah this might be the last year a camcorder would be yeah the most likely device for this type of we still really hadn't reached that peak of like everybody's using their phones and everything and 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 you see people using them in the movie they're holding up their tiny little like uh early early stage iphones lg phones you know (laughs) recording three minutes at a time yeah and and anymore this is exactly how this scenario would be played out um one of the things that i always i I, i've loved cloverfield for years and one of the things that i always wanted and really enjoyed about this movie um, was that moment in time essence uh, I always thought that if they did a sequel, they should do something from like a, uh, the same type of thing told from the perspective of like the military or something, mm-hmm. you know, then we're able, because in this movie, we don't really get the full story. Our questions aren't answered. We don't know where this thing came from. We don't really know much outside of what these main characters know. 
but you, if you want us to tell us the story and the sequels this franchise took went a different route, and I love that route that it went, but you could also be like, okay, we're going to tell the story of this monster and its origin through these very narrow points of view. You're going to see some civilians. You're going to see some military. And who knows what else they could have come up with. But I always think that could have been a very interesting way to take it where you learn the story over the time, even if it's the same event from a different perspective. Yeah, because that different perspective makes all the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I will say if there's anything about this movie, I think it's lasting. Like, it's it's definitely not a regular film. And I... This go around, I mean, I've seen it plenty of times, but this go around, like, critically analyzing it, I feel like it's more in tune now with anything else in ter- in regards to monster movies. It's really, like, if you think about it for a second, it's really the best monster movie of this, so far, this century. I think an argument can be made, sure. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, you, 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 could, you could easily do something like this today, but at the same time, I mean, the story is not dynamic, but there's not really a dynamic story to this. We're just, we're just all of a sudden, it's like, it's kind of like those first 30 minutes of Saving Private Ryan. We're suddenly thrust into a, into a situation that nobody knows anything about, and we don't know if anybody's going to get out alive. Yeah. And I love that, I love that that unpredictability of not knowing what's going to happen whenever you're watching a movie like this. And I think that's what kept me on my toes the entire time. Cause there was no point in time when it was just like, where like old plot cliches pop up and it's just like, Oh, well we can kind of guess that, you know, maybe there's, maybe there's something's going to happen. No, we don't. It's just a singular timeline. And that's, that to me is like what sets this movie apart from anything else. What I really like, again, about the, the found footage element is that you really feel like you are the, the you, re, you really feel like you're T.J. Miller. Like T.J. Miller's character is, you hear him and whatnot, but you are seeing it from his perspective. And so you feel like you're with them throughout the whole thing. It's, it looks like your POV and that's what you're seeing. And so what I've always really enjoyed about this is that in those moments, whether they're dull or semi-character building because you don't get a ton of character development but you get some and you and you connect with them because you're having those personal moments they're talking to hud who is behind the camera but they're looking at you and so you're connecting with them and that is a really good element to make you feel like you're really invested in them um the the moment that always stands out to me is they do such a good job of lulling you throughout the movie where chaos 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 and then calm and then you know that chaos is going to come back, but you don't know when. And so the, the first moment of that really for me is the scene where chaos has happened. Um, they're headed to Becky. The um, girl, I don't remember her name. I, I don't Beth. remember any names. Yeah. Beth. I'm scroll down here. I think I have it. Beth. Beth. They're going to her apartment to pick her up because she's trapped. And 
they're just kind of running down the street and then bang, all of a sudden out of nowhere, the monster's on this side and then HUD spins around and you see the military on this time and missiles are launching over your head and you feel like you're in the middle of this crossfire between these two and it just comes out of nowhere. I know. After minutes of like, just kind of a lull, like things were happening, but it wasn't like super exciting. And then bam, just out of nowhere. Boom, all of a sudden, army. Monster. I mean, these people uh, are wearing, you know, they're wearing those little things on the bottom of your shoes you get when you go into a new house, you know, like no one's hearing these people creep up. They are on it. Like it was, uh, it's quite startling. And then you get that same feeling down in the subway. Um, And, and, and there, you know, you get a sense of like normalcy. And that's where I think that um, TJ Miller and and Lizzie Kaplan really shine because there's, all of this going around, they've been chased by monsters. People have been eaten. They're trapped in a subway and they're walking down. And I think if I remember right, a lot of this movie was kept secret. So a lot of it was kind of improv dialogue. And there's a scene in the subway where HUD mentions Superman or something like that. And he has a big crush on uh, Lizzie Kaplan's character, Marlena. And he says, whoa, you know Superman? And then she like spins around and is like, wait, are you aware of Garfield? And they just have this silly back and forth reaction to each other. And um, then they spin around and they'll go to, who knows? There's a evil spiders is what I call them. Yeah. What I like about the whole found footage aspect is that we get a kind of different perspective of a monster from a monster movie than I am used to. I don't really know of any other movies of this nature that are um, found footage like that. You know, a lot of times we get, you know, like look at Godzilla, for example, Mm -hmm. he's like the most popular monster of all pretty much, Mm -hmm. especially in the Kaiju category. So there's usually like, I feel like, an almost cold open type thing where there's like rumblings of a monster. And then we shift to, I don't know, a family enjoying their day or something and normal life, yada, yada, yada. And then it's like scientists, family, scientists, family, and then like monster unleashed. And then buildings are smashed and streets are destroyed and, Scientists are trying, right, try, scientists are trying to stop it, and the president's on the phone, and the family then has to, like, save them. I don't know. I don't want to compare that to um, – I don't want to describe the, like, original Godzilla movies that way because I haven't seen them. <laughs> but it seems like Americanized Godzilla is that way. Yeah, well, it, and it feels like most disaster movies in general follow that. Yeah, that line of reasoning. And and honestly, this could be just as much considered a disaster style movie as it is a monster movie, because right. you really get a sense of it being more like a force of nature because we don't know. We yeah. just don't know what's going on. You know, like so it's the it, same reaction these people would have if a tornado tore through New York. Yeah, I thought it was cool to have that perspective um, and not have an explanation <clears throat> kind of of where it came from or its beginnings of like oh, we know this is coming because you don't necessarily know it's coming. And we don't have, you know, the military on the, in the like, I don't know, situation room trying to figure out how to stop it. We get zero of that. 
No, we, we literally we, just get. Uh, does anyone remember about how long it takes before it hits the fan? I think twenty, 20 minutes. minutes. Twenty uh, minutes is like the first note. That's when the blackout happens. About so we okay. get twenty minutes of of this generic party movie, honestly, and yeah. then it's just chaos from then on out. Abercrombie and Fitch casting call party right. is, and then uh, it ends. is going on. And <laughs> the movie also ends with no explanation whatsoever of what just happened or what is going to happen. No, yeah. nothing. And to yeah. this day, even though we know that we're going to cover um, two more movies in this universe, uh, we still don't know what happened. <laughs> not really. It's not ever explained. You, uh, you know as much. You, the viewer, know as much as the guy recording the video. If he yeah. hasn't heard it, if the camera wasn't on, you essentially don't know what happened. And there are periods where they, they make abrupt cuts like you would in any home movie. You, t- you stop filming for a sec, you turn it back on later. You know, you are uh, uh, required to pick up, to, to fill in the gaps for yourself. Like you see, oh, camera turned off for a second. All of a sudden we are uh, in a big line headed towards a bridge. They're headed towards the bridge. I, you know, you, you as the audience, you can make that connection yourself. You don't need to be spoon fed every every bit of detail and i think they did a great job of structuring this movie um by giving you all the all the context clues you need to to fill in the bigger story um and i love that you don't really know you know it's it's very if it's very natural and uh the characters wouldn't know you know it would be it would be it would be asinine if one of the characters happened to be like a scientist you know, who's like, right. oh, you know, I think right. it's probably it would be this too, and this and that. It'd be too convenient. Yeah. And we do see the military at one point and they give us, they, they, they really don't give us much of anything other than de- other than a few details about where to go. No, they don't, and they, they, don't, don't, they don't know what the monster is. They don't know what the little things are other than they kill people. Yeah. They don't appear to know what they're doing any more than anyone else, which is, I feel like pretty realistic considering we've never, you know, had this happen because monsters aren't real. But if they were, how could you really be prepared? It would be chaos from all angles. Yep. Well, and especially because <clears throat> their first reaction is, it probably should be, is yeah. bomb it. And the bombs <laughs> right. don't work. Like, bomb the hell out of it. Oh, he's still alive. Like, what are we going to do now? Let's yeah, it's it. like. Just shoot it. Just shoot it. Just keep shooting yeah. it until it dies. That's like Kill it at the all only costs. thing it can do. And, yeah. and it's not working. So you would, tr- in, in moments like this, you would think, you know, kind of like what these civilians do is they turn to the military and say, where, what, what, where can we go? How are you going to save us? And, and they're essentially like, we are literally going to try to bomb it one more time. And then we're going to blow up all of Manhattan. <laughs> like, like, that's that's yeah. the next step is we're just going to completely destroy Manhattan. Which seems to save everybody. It does. But like, what else are you going to do? I don't know. But like, yeah. you're guaranteeing all these deaths. If you but bomb Manhattan, but you're not. It, it's you kind of like the uh, that philosophical question: Do you save the lives of a few to, to or save the lives of many to, and and have to kill the lives of a few in the glow in the big giant perspective? Because yeah. yeah, Manhattan is one is one of the biggest cities in the in the country. Acceptable if risks. They, if they can't kill this monster, this monster's gonna kill everybody. Yeah. Well, I don't understand. And and we don't know if it can be contained. They don't know if it can be contained. They don't know if it, if there's more of them, you know, what if this is just the start is just this one. 
Yeah, so he's like, just the recon guy. No, Holy crap, what's the attackers going to look like? Yeah. Why don't these monsters ever, like, wash up on the shores of rural Oregon? I know, right? <laughs> right? This is, my, this is my complaint about uh, big movies in general. The superheroes, specifically. Like, the Fantastic Four have been to Mars more than they've been to Alabama. Like, how do we get more representation for the Midwest? Because <laughs> you know if this happened today... There would be people in the Midwest on Facebook saying, I heard a rumor that the monster's coming here. <laughs> yeah. Better, better. I don't know. The difference is. Oh, so ready. The, no, the monster would have never existed. You know, oh, that's it, was just, it was, it was, a, you know, black ops. Uh, it's the media. What's the it's new the thing they call these things? False flag. Yeah. All that that's stuff. Probably, that's, probably, that's probably more true than we want to admit. Why do they always use, why do they always use New York City? I feel well, like I feel like I feel like New York City is like the central hub of any any American monster movie. It's like it is. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna shoot a monster movie. I think there's oh, yeah, it's gotta be in I, New York City. I think there's practical reasons, and then there's like uh, like there's um, like a larger pick bigger picture reasons. I think maximum destruction on screen. Right. Mm-hmm. right? It's one of the most famous cities in the world, so it's recognizable yeah. by most. Very people. recognizable, yeah. even yeah. internationally. Even like I really LA, think those the yeah, even the L.A. city city skyline. Like if you showed me that, it'd be like, oh. I think those are the two main reasons. I think maximum and then, destruction and recognizability. And then pragmatically, pragmatically, uh, New York uh, has really good incentives to shoot there. I think you could do so, Chicago so, if it comes out of the lake, or but fairly. Like, that's harder to explain. Sure, I don't. I don't see a problem with that. So this movie also had a really um, insane marketing strategy that involved a lot of secrecy. It was, we mentioned in the beginning that this was a pretty secret movie. When mm-hmm. the first when the first trailer dropped um, in front of the first Transformers movie back into the summer of two thousand seven, uh, the trailer had no title attached to it. No title, which is which is pretty rare. Um, they had to get special permission from the Motion Picture Association to do that because obviously that would, in general, not be a cool thing to do. Uh, But it was part of the whole uh, drive to drum up appeal and hype and all that stuff. So we just get this found footage monster movie trailer with no title attached um, from producer J.J. Abrams, who is um, on a hot streak with Lost and everything. And of course, you know, Alias before that. Let's get through it. Marketing was amazing for this. It was originally titled January 1st or January 18th, 20, uh, 2008, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, sure. I'm very we frustrated, run. folks at home. I'm very frustrated. Yeah, yeah. Bobby I, McFerrin, I, David. Bobby yeah, McFerrin. You're good, David. The worst part I, was Andrew went first. He was talking and all of a sudden he went, that's that, that but see the problem is that could have been real you don't know i know sometimes, Listen, andrew's the worst pauses. andrew's the control for this experiment because andrew could be sitting there frozen for no reason right also let's just clear the air that you could have stopped talking at the worst part is andrew <laughs> <laughs> oh boy yeah um i'm assuming so i my editing skills are probably not going to be good enough to hide all of this. So for anyone who's watching, this is us acknowledging that there are serious issues with this video and we're well aware of it. Yeah. And anybody who's listening, you probably have the same thing too. It's a shame. Yeah. 
It's a shame. I really want to talk about how much Clover, how great Cloverfield is. Yeah, it's a great movie. It doesn't work. It's, the secrecy continues on this podcast. They don't want us to talk about it. So, Josh, last last I remember you talking about the marketing. You said that they uh, they uh, they had to get special permission from the MPAA. Oh, that's the last thing you heard. Dang it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they had to get special permission because typically movies are not you know released without a title, uh, no, or, or at least teased without a title. So, what a concept that would be going without a title at all. Uh, well, that would be wild. It wasn't. What would you tell the uh, box office person? I guess I don't know. You'd be like, it's untitled. Give me that no movie. Um, it's every. Uh, it's every. Movie. It's it's every uh, freshman in college's first paper. Yeah. Title. So so the movie came out January '08. It wasn't until November '07, I believe. Um, someone can fact check me that the title was revealed in in the second trailer. So a lot of hype and uh, suspicion and all this stuff surrounding this movie, particularly with J.J. Uh, Abrams' connection to Lost, which is also a very mysterious show that drove a lot of online conversation about um, the various mysteries and clues and all that. People were like, um, is this tied to Lost somehow? Is it something new? A lot of cool mystery. And there's a lot of great um, viral marketing with it as well in the form of uh, uh, MySpace pages for the characters. Yep. For those of you who uh, remember and used MySpace. None of, it, from top eight spaces. <laughs> none of it was um, connected to the plot at all. It was literally just character-based uh, viral marketing. So you didn't really learn anything from it, but for people who wanted to get um, involved in yeah. kind of figuring out the mystery, it just gave you that much more of a personal connection to it because of the work a lot of fans did to kind of find all these Easter eggs and all that. So very cool viral marketing done by, by I assume the people at Paramount. Um, I admit, I like it when a movie does that. Yeah, I like that. You know what though is wild to me. I'm just now talking out of my ass, I guess. But <laughs> for such a well done strategy, and we've seen this before um, with with certain movies over the years, but it's never really like attempted often. I don't think. No, it doesn't seem very consistently. Which, which seems surprising to me that they're not all trying. Everyone doesn't try to replicate it. Andrew has uh, the the only thing I can think of is that is uh, when the Dark Knight did it. There yeah, was some viral a, marketing with the Dark Knight. Yeah, they had a viral campaign. Yeah, yeah. they and their viral marketing and that came out the same year. Yeah, it came out the same year. But like their viral marketing was actually kind of insane because they started back during a San Diego uh, uh, San Diego Comic Con. Mm-hmm. and they were having you find clues to it and everything just kept kind of building up from there even when they uh showed the first five minutes of the movie in imax as a trailer so yep yeah i mean it's it's crazy how how that works and it works yeah and you, you don't see a whole lot of it anymore for really any anything yeah yeah i can remember i was uh um, in my senior year of high school when this movie came out and I was working at a movie theater and there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of hype amongst us as, as movie theater employees as to like, what is this going to be? We're super excited. Um, I can't remember if it drew a huge crowd or not, but my, that was a long time ago, but, uh, we know that it did draw a pretty good crowd overall because of the box office run of this movie. So, That's David, right. let's talk about that if you can. 
That's right. I'm still here. This is promising so far. I want to make one quick diversion before I talk about the box office. It kind of impacts the box office. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about the visual effects. I think a smart move mm-hmm. they did was having it being this this you know docu series, this docu fiction style shooting. It allowed them to use things like smoke, buildings. It's all mostly set at night. A lot of shifting perspectives for the camera allowed them to not have to do as much visual effects as they would have on a, like a Godzilla or a King Kong or something like that, where you're spending millions of dollars or at least not, I mean, not millions, but you're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars just on the monster. And they were able to get away with very little here. Um, uh, the editor, Kevin Stitt, no, no, no relation to our governor, uh, sure. said that the uh, film is essentially shot through a soda straw. And they, you are getting a very focused uh, uh, version of the movie. And so essentially the scale feels 10 times bigger than they actually had to make it because everything is so uh, focused just through that. And because of the, the, the relatively low amount they spent on casting and on uh, visual effects and on uh, uh, you know crazy sets, because they only had two sets for this movie. Um, they had two street sets and then they had the, the, the underground set and everything else they pretty much got away with really easy. Um, they had two street sets, and then they had a couple of indoor sets. Um, so Cloverfield debuted January 18th, way back in 2008, finishing number one with a three-day opening of $40 million, pretty much right on the dot, $40 nice. million dollars and 58000 um, So what else was in the box office that weekend? If I remember correctly, there wasn't a ton of competition. It was kind of a, uh, it was kind of a week weekend. Uh, I really should have had this open before. Um, <laughs> uh, so uh, the uh, competition that weekend, I told you, Cloverfield debuted number one with $40 million with $23 million in the number two spot, 27 dresses. Oh. Now, there's a franchise I'm looking forward to. I never saw 26 dresses. Um, <laughs> that's a lot of movies we have to watch. Damn, I know. We got to watch dresses. Then we got to watch dresses two or two dresses. Then too dressed too furious you know and then hey and then you know eventually it's just like dresses but the s is a five and then you got um, the spinoff undressed <laughs> uh, yeah they didn't go. do as well yeah, yeah. um then at uh, number three you had the bucket list starring uh, morgan freeman and jackie, jackie nick jack nicholson yeah yep is that it yeah yep uh, that came in with 14 million dollars at number four you have my least favorite movie uh of that year not really but kind of Juno uh, bringing in $9.9 million. And then at number five, uh, we have a movie called first Sunday. You guys remember this? Nope. This is a not, this is not a sequel to the Friday series, but it does mostly star the cast of the Friday movies. Hmm. That movie with ice cube, cat Williams, uh, a bunch of other people. Uh, and yet it's not anyway. Um, at number six, just behind is the, the only other sequel in the box office that, that was very high up in the box office is National Treasure 2 Book of Secrets. Okay. So no real sequels in the top five that weekend. It's a very original weekend. It's in January, so that kind of thing tends to happen. Cloverfield would have finished in the United States with $80 million in its U.S. run over its 12 weeks. You add another $92 million from foreign markets, giving it a worldwide total of $172.3 million, which is a pretty good for, uh, you know, a new movie, new franchise, different kind of movie. A lot of people were afraid of the shaky cam element, that they were going to get nauseous, things like that. Uh, I will say on my first on my first viewing of it, it did make me kind of nauseous. And this was at it home. Did. It made you nauseous watching it recently. 
I guess I'm lucky. I don't I don't get nauseated from no. I, I didn't Never from this. I have been nauseated during movies, but not yeah, but this <laughs> not because of uh, that. No, it's just because they're bad movies. No, I uh, those movies make me sick. I can't really remember the last one. It was a movie. But it was a, it, it was it was a situation where the movie did like a thing where they like tilted the camera in a certain way, so it felt like you were. It felt like in my seat I was moving in opposition. Yeah. Have you ever been like in a car and the, your car is moving very slowly and the other car next to you is moving forward very slowly, so you feel like you you're can't moving tell. but sitting still? Yeah, it was yeah. that type of effect, and I was like. My favorite was when I, I went and saw Free Solo in the IMAX with Andrew, and he about fell out of his chair just in there. <laughs> and that would Whoa. not have been the first time that Andrew would have ever fallen down while sitting down. Yeah, Free Solo in the IMAX. Now that's a movie that'll uh, that'll make, make you sick. make you sick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, but it's worth it. Whoa, that was fun. Was oh boy. Okay. Uh, so if, if we travel back to the year two thousand eight, uh, this is a pretty good year for movies in general. I call yeah. it. Yeah, I, I call it a. Uh, a defining year because two major movies finished number one and two in the domestic charts. And they would pretty much um, dictate how Hollywood was going to go at number one for the year of 2008 was the dark Knight, bring in $530 million domestic. That movie would eventually make over a billion dollars worldwide. And number two with $318 million domestic, it's Iron Man. And number three, Indiana Jones and the kingdom of the crystal skull at number four, Hancock, and at number five, it's Disney. It's a Pixar's Wall E. Uh, I'm surprised Hancock out. made that much money. Wow! I that's know it made two hundred twenty-seven million. I was still when Will Smith could carry a movie. You know, Will Smith very. You know, and and people were big on superheroes at this point in time. Yeah. Uh, this was kind of the height of superhero movies, and Hancock was is is the highest original concept film that year. Iron Man, obviously, the highest uh, non sequel. And uh, then uh, we had a um, few other good movies. I mean, so, you know, uh, Kung Fu Panda, something we got on the wheel right now, Twilight. Uh, we got Madagascar. Uh, also the franchise, the franchise we missed out on. At number nine, it's Quantum of Solace. Mm. One of these we, days. We will get to do the James Bond. We will be back, we James will. Bond. It was going to happen earlier, folks. Like the Terminator, we will be back. Yeah, and um, award-winning movies that fingers year, crossed yeah. later this year. Yeah, yeah. Let's hope it all comes out. Uh, Bond is the stuff. The stuff they can do viral marketing with. I don't know why they don't do as much. Uh, yeah. So uh, some other honorable mentions. That was the year Slumdog Millionaire came out. Uh, uh, Best picture winner. Uh, yeah, Benjamin Button. Um, I don't remember the whole title of that. It's like the Amazing Life of Benjamin Button. The Curious Case. Curious Case. There it is. Uh, and then you had uh, Frost Nixon mm -hmm. that year, the reader, mm -hmm. Milk, mm -hmm. which I always think is MLK until I read closer. Uh, yeah. And that's it. Um, that's that's really it for the box office stats. I had a stat about this being uh, one of the highest gross. It was one of the highest openings of 2008, but it didn't make the top 10. So it wasn't really all that, all that impressive. Uh, Andrew is running our letterbox game this week. Josh, while Andrew gets his stuff out, do you want to explain the letterbox game? Yeah, so the letterbox game is a game that we play to guess the the average score of uh, whatever movie we're talking about um, on letterbox.com or the letterbox app. Um, it's a great social media network for movie lovers like us. It's a little bit we we have found it a little bit of a better place to find a good um, 
consensus of a movie than say a Rotten Tomatoes or what have you, just because um, it's all fan accounts. That's, I guess that's how I word it. And at least as of now, it's a pretty good community of people who care about movies. Whereas Rotten Tomatoes is like the Walmart of uh, collecting film reviews, yeah, which is like fine. It's 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 uh, effective, but we have found too many times that uh, <laughs> we don't agree in a big way. Well, it's that, and it's just it it, it was too easy to skew. Too easy know? to skew, yeah. And and it was so, and it, and it just doesn't feel quite as effective. Now, this is also aggregating these, you know, most of these people's reviews, but it's people like us, people who are watching these movies, reviewing them. And you know, maybe like maybe like Rotten Tomatoes, one day it'll get too big and too yeah. mainstream, yeah. And, and and it won't be as it won't be the same. Rotten Tomatoes before two thousand five was probably a really cool. But it's also nice because you got um, Rotten Tomatoes, which separates fans and critics. Mm-hmm. Whereas Letterbox, there are critics on there, and their yeah. their their vote or their ranking isn't weighed any higher than mine or yours. So, yep. And it's right. just a fun, cool place that we wanted to promote a little bit through our extremely tiny platform. We yeah. have a massive platform. Thank you very much. Hey, man. Yeah, we've got something like 15 Double followers well, on Letterboxd already. Our platform is the size of the internet, but yes. not very many people are standing on it. They haven't found our corner yet. <laughs> right. Not yet. So Super. hopefully through all that, Andrew has figured out where he stands. He, right. he done forgot that he was running the game throughout oh, this whole thing. what? I am? I am. I, I mean, I am. Uh, so, what would everybody give this rating? Give this movie a rating? I'm going to guess that on Letterboxd, it is a 3.7. David, 3.7. Um, so, I, I think that people like it, but I think that a lot of people are going to kind of struggle with the uh, shakiness. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a lot of people have a serious problem with that, and they I don't, do. I don't, and I, them, but. I don't, I don't understand it fully. I get it, but it worked for this movie. But I remember seeing it, and and I remember a lot of people walking away and not liking the movie at all because of the style that it was shot in. Um, I'm, I still think it's going to be really high. <laughs> I think it's going to be, uh, a little lower than David. I'm going to go three, four, three point four. Mm-hmm. So David three point seven. Uh, Garrett three point four. Josh. Mm-hmm. Three three point two. Three point so two. We're on the threes. Okay. Yeah, he lost it. <laughs> no, no. So three point two, three point four, three point seven, three point seven. Yeah. All right. So the winner. This is tough. Oh, that's what she said. Might need a tiebreaker. This is tough, and here's why. So the number, the rating is three point three. 3.3. Do we have a tiebreaker? We don't have a tiebreaker. Uh, we don't. Hang on. We can guess I, I'm out. So I, I, I'm out. So I'll pull up Letterboxd. I can help out. 
Okay. I was going to say, we can either stick to letterbox or we can pull up the Rotten Tomato score and guess that. I mean, Man, we could. I just dumped all over them, though. <laughs> <laughs> wait, or wait, IMDb wait. or something or Metacritic. I don't know. I, I was going to do oh, IMDb. Yeah. Okay. And then it's always like 7.2 is what it's always. That's is. true. Every movie is 7.2 on, on IMDb. <laughs> yeah, or 7.8. Well, I mean, all right. Well, I'll tell you what. Here's what I'll do is I'll go to Metacritic. Okay. I respect them more. Yeah. Hang on just a second. And everything's low on Metacritic. It's true. They, they weigh the it a lot. Some works on that. So while Andrew's doing that, I'll, I'll try to explain that a little bit. So on Rotten Tomatoes, um, I'm, I'm probably explaining stuff that you guys already know, but for the viewers, um, let's say a movie has an 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. That does not mean that the average score of the movie is 80% or 8 out of 10. That just means that 80% of critics gave it a positive review, which could be a 3 out of 5 or a 5 out of 5. So you're not really getting a good indication of how much people liked the movie, just that they liked it. So on, on Metacritic, it actually takes that part into account to get a better idea of how the movie actually ranks um, on a number scale versus just how many of the critics liked it. Okay. Do you want to yeah. do that, or do you want to guess how many people have given this movie a like? I want to do the Metacritic, I think, but then I'm curious yeah. to know that one, too. Okay. So do you have it? Yes, I do. Okay, and it's out it's of a hundred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a scale from zero to a hundred. Okay. And this is critics and people, right? I think these are just critics. I don't know enough about Metacritic, so it's uh, you go first. I just explained everything about no, Metacritic. I know, I know, I know. I know. <laughs> he didn't listen, huh? He see? see. I said you didn't listen. Oh, what's that? Yeah. Uh, eighty-two. I don't know. Okay. You're at 82? So that's like saying we think you think that the average score is like 8.2 out of 10, yeah. basically. Um, okay, so I'm going to go... Ooh, I want to go a little lower, but not terribly lower. Seven, 77. 77? Double sevens. Okay, 77, 82. David, do you want to chime in just for fun? Yeah, I'll say... Uh... I'll say I'll say seventy nine. I think eighty two is too high. So eighty two, Garrett. Seventy two. Seventy seven. I'll say sixty one. <laughs> and for no what I say. Um, for fun, David, yeah. you get you get sixty one. Sixty one. Everything's everything's bad <laughs> on Metacritic. Yeah. You're not wrong. Yeah, You're not wrong. That's why I think I'm too high. Out of thirty seven reviews, the final score. On Metascore is 64. Josh is low. Wow. Holy crap. That's too low. Wow. I think we should move the game to Metacritic from now on. I think uh, think it's actually the superior site. No. No, but I don't mind. I don't mind it as a uh, as a tiebreaker. I like it because it throws us all off. Yeah, yeah. none of us. It yeah. makes it even more random. We've we've not started gaming that system. Because that that was the other problem with Rotten Tomatoes is we all pretty much figured out the system, so we yeah. would all guess like the same three numbers. Okay. Anyway, um, let's wrap so, this up. So I'll tell you this: Cloverfield uh, has been reviewed by 182,000 people on Letterboxd, and 30,000 of those have given it a, a like or a heart. And then of those 30,000. 
284 have put this in their top four movies. Nice. Ooh, that's pretty or good. Or in their favorite movies, Not whatever bad. you call that little section. So that's Not pretty bad cool. at all. Good for Cloverfield. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so I'll run the game for 10 Cloverfield Lane. What is our score out of five on, uh, for Letterboxd? Five. Really? Yep. All the way up at a five. I was going to give this a solid four. I, I'm solid with, four. I'm with David, a solid four. It's I'm going to split you and I'm going to do a 4.5. I'm not, I'm not yeah. sure what I would add or subtract, but I think it's a, it's not necessarily jumped to like, the top of my favorites, but man, what a really, really good film. So we are looking at a four and a half for the So Many Sequels account because I'm rounding up from 4.37. Cool. It gets I, a, I'm content with that. Yep, I'm good with that. It gets a five from me because, like, it's an original It's an original film. It's an original monster film, but it's an original take on the monster film. That's and right. I think that's it's, – it's like you get an A for trying, and it really nails it down very well. Like, I want to know more about the Cloverfield universe. We may never know enough about it. So – if they never make a sequel from this, like from this one directly, uh, this will be this will be more than a treat. Yep, agreed. Okay, well, that's the end of this episode. We will, I surely hope, be back next time to talk about Tin Cloverfield Lane, the uh, next installment in the Cloverfield universe. Until then, you can find us online on Facebook. Instagram and Twitter. If you are on Letterboxd, you can find us on there too. Just search for so many sequels on all of those apps. You're almost certainly going to find us. Mm-hmm. And of course, we have a uh, so many sequels account on Patreon. If That's you would true. like to uh, help us out there, we appreciate that. Um, that's it, I guess. <laughs> Until next time. Until next time. Yeah. It's still alive. It's still alive, people. It's still alive, people. Oh, shaky cam.